live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season four. Hi everyone, welcome to the dark paranormal season four finale. The last nine episodes have flown over so quick and I can't believe we're already at episode 10. However, rest assured, we're going to sign off with one hell of a story. Why I've saved this story for the final episode is it's very rare that you encounter a story where you believe you're living with one type of entity when all along you could be living with something so much more dangerous. However, before we get to today's true paranormal experience, I just need to make a few announcements. Firstly, there will, as per usual, be a break in between seasons. However, the good news is, the break in between season 4 and season 5 will only be two weeks. The second announcement is, obviously, as the show grows, we need the show to be viable, so therefore, there will be some adverts placed throughout the shows. However, I'll endeavour to make sure this does not impact the listening experience. And of course, any Patreons who sign up will get ad-free versions of the shows. And finally, and most importantly, we're now about to enter Season 5, which only means one thing. We revert back to your true paranormal experiences. Now, although I enjoy doing these famous stories... I must admit, my favourite seasons are when I get to read stories out that I've never heard before. So if you're sitting on a story, a true paranormal experience, send it in to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com. Now, as we do each and every week, I just need to say a quick thank you to the newest members over at the Dark Paranormal Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only do you get ad-free episodes earlier than everyone else, you also receive a Patreon-only show, Dark Bites, each and every week, even during the downtime between seasons. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. And this week, we'd like to say thank you to Adriana Waldhouse, Kerry Elizabeth, Erica Warren, Alan Kofi, Caitlin and Dakota Ashwood, Amanda, Brenda, John Kerr, Angie Dutton and Sandra. Thank you so much, guys. I hope you enjoy the next couple of weeks of Patreon-only content during the downtime. Don't forget, head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Or you can also check us out on the app Repod. Just search the dark paranormal. And now, for the final time this season, please make yourself comfortable, lower the lights, leave your disbelief at the door, And join me as we take a trip to the Sally House. It's the late 1800s and Mary and her poorly daughter find themselves standing outside the town doctors at 508 North 2nd Street, Atchison, Kansas. Now you go in and tell the nice man exactly where it hurts. They'll give you some medicine and clear all this up, Marie says to her daughter bending down and stroking her hair to comfort her. Marie's daughter just nods, holding her stomach. She knew the doctor would be a man. 
her father hadn't been the kindest of men, to put it politely, and she had a distrust of men, coming from a very logical place. Her mother had actually taken her to Atchison to get away from him. Medicine during this time is going through something of a renaissance. The world's best surgeons are putting out reports on the latest achievements. Procedures which were thought impossible are now being carried out to great success. Doctors were working with, and being viewed with, a newfound confidence. Though sometimes, certainly in smaller towns, that confidence is unfounded. The mother and daughter enter the two-storey brick home and are taken upstairs to wait in one of the three rooms. A quick prod and poke, which act as a triage by the assistant on duty, causes great concern. He concludes there was internal hemorrhaging of the appendix, and without urgent surgery, the young child would die. Everything became a bit of a blur for Marie, as her daughter was whipped away into one of the rooms. The impending screams she would hear from her daughter, she told herself were necessary to endure to allow her child to get better. Little did she know that the overly enthusiastic doctor had begun the procedure before the anaesthetic had had a chance to work. The poor child feeling each agonising slice and cut made by the scalpel. Frantically staring around, wondering why a group of strangers, a group of grown men, were not giving her medicine, but holding her down and torturing her. Even more upsetting... After having to endure the muffled screams of her only child being operated on in such a barbaric way, the operation sadly failed, and her daughter, Sally, aged only six, bled out on the operating table and died. It's now New Year's Eve 1992, and two people are once again stood outside 508 North 2nd Street, Atchison, Kansas. The property is no longer a doctor's office, but a solid semi-detached two-storey home in a respectable area. Ideal for a young couple looking to start a family. And for three-month pregnant Deborah and her husband Tony Pickman, this was a perfect beginning. Little did they know, it would have a far from perfect ending. I love it, I love it, I love it, exclaimed Deborah walking from room to room, with Tony a few steps behind, doing what he thought he should be doing, like pulling on door fittings and flicking lights on and off, trying to build a typical husband to-do list in his head. Oh, wow, this room right here, proclaimed Deborah, standing in the back-facing bedroom, a cosy room slightly smaller than the other two bedrooms. This is where I want the nursery to be, Tony nodded. Yeah, I can picture that, sure. And so, over the next few weeks, boxes were moved, furniture was assembled, and when all other rooms of the house were completed, Tony and Deborah began on the nursery. It was important for Deborah that they both worked on the room. It needed to be a pouring of love from both parents from day one. One afternoon, realising they were running out of light blue paint, 
Tony went downstairs to call the hardware store. Finding the number, he picked up the cordless phone and... However, when he held it to his ear, there was no dial tone, just static. He hung up a few times, but got the same sound each time. I think the phone's out, he shouted upstairs to Debbie, who came downstairs to check. She hung it up and tried again. The dial tone came on on her first try. It's working now, she said, handing the receiver back. Tony pulled a confused face and dialed the hardware store, ordered more tins of paint. Just one of those things, he thought. Back upstairs, the couple continued to decorate into the late evening, listening to the radio, when Debbie turned and said, Has it gotten darker in here, or is it just my eyes? Tony looked up at the bulb. He wasn't sure himself. It might just be us getting used to the darkness outside and the light inside. The radio seemed to have lost the station and increased in volume. Deborah, holding her hands to her ears, walked over and turned the radio off. At that moment, the room became noticeably brighter, the bulb seemingly now operating at full power. It must be the electrics, said Tony, dropping his brush into the tin. I'll have to get someone in to check things over. Probably going to cost an arm and a leg knowing our luck. Deborah just sighed. Come on, it's an old house. We got it out of steel. Whatever it costs, we'll still be paying under the odds. That evening, the couple snuggled together on the couch to watch a film. They'd done this a million times before, but there was an extra level of contentment doing it in their first home. The alarm from the oven began to ring out. The couple looked at each other, fully aware that neither had cooked anything. Tony stood up and went over to turn it off. That'll be the electrics again, he shouted. But in truth, even he wasn't convinced in the words leaving his lips. The electrician visited one day in mid-June that year. He listened intently as Tony explained the apparent power surges and power drops that they'd experienced. And then he went about to make his checks. A few hours later, Tony was left both relieved and bewildered. Relieved as the electrician handed him a very small bill and explained the electrics were absolutely fine. And bewildered as, if not the electrics, just what was causing the effects? Tony was jolted out of his thought by the phone ringing. He answered to discover now was the time. His wife was in labour. Deborah gave birth to a healthy baby boy that they named Taylor. And talk about perfect timing. The nursery had just had its last batch of plush toys added and was ready for its new inhabitant. Of course, like any newborn, Taylor viewed constant streams of new faces glaring into his pram and the couple's early days were spent taking him around family and friends for them to swoon over him. One such evening, arriving home after visiting Deborah's family, Tony took the carry chair containing the sleeping Taylor out of the car and crept upstairs to place Taylor in his cot. He slowly opened the nursery door, trying to make as little noise as po- Something caught his eye. He pushed the door the rest of the way open. The stuffed animals were all sat on the floor in a circle, 
hands touching, facing outwards. Deb! Tony half whispered, half shouted. Deborah came up the stairs and witnessed the macabre circle. Your sister-in-law came in earlier to drop off a high chair. Is this her trying to spook us out? asked Deb. Tony shook his head. Sure, he'd mentioned the weird electricity issues to his brother and the fact that, on occasion, the place kind of made him uneasy. But this just wasn't their style of prank. Deborah called her to check anyway. Her response gave Deborah chills. What? No. I admit I went to go and look at the nursery, but Deb, and I'm not trying to freak you out. Halfway up the stairs, there was this really cold draft coming down. I felt too uneasy and I just left. Deborah listened, and in truth, a little spark of excitement lit in her stomach. She'd always been a believer in ghosts, albeit a rational one. But she had to admit it. Even she had felt a slight cold gust on occasion, which had gave her a chill. Going back upstairs, Deborah shakes any ideas of ghosts from her mind and helps Tony in putting all the teddy bears back on the ottoman. Turning out the light, they head back downstairs, but as they reach the hallway... Deborah turns and sees the light from the nursery cascading onto the stairway wall. They both race back up and look in the room, and they find one solitary bear sat in the centre of the room facing them. Obviously shaken up, Tony picks up the bear and places it firmly back in the pile of toys, turning off the light again, and they head back downstairs. Both Tony and Deborah pretend to watch whatever films on TV, whilst their minds raced with the happenings upstairs. Eventually, they calm somewhat, and Deborah heads upstairs to use the bathroom. Thankfully, the light in the nursery is still off. But for peace of mind, she opens the nursery door to take a look. And there, staring back at her, is the same bear in the centre of the floor Deborah runs downstairs and tells her husband and now Tony is wound up his brain won't allow him to accept that this is supernatural and therefore someone must be in the house trying to scare them the thought of which riles Tony's protective streak and so the two scour every inch of the house for the prankster after an hour or so of tearing the place apart they decide it's best to call Larry Tony's brother-in-law. Now, Larry is a rational man. Rational, but open. Therefore, he's perfectly placed to be an arbiter and give advice on what's happening. However, after a few hours of sporadically checking each room and sitting in the living room waiting for some event, nothing happens. However, as Larry goes to leave, he stops smiles and says, Okay, you guys are putting me on now. Tony and Deborah look at each other confused. Come on, guys, laughs Larry. The bear. Larry points to a teddy bear, which Deborah and Tony keep downstairs on the hearth of the fireplace. What about it? says Tony. That was facing out when we went upstairs to the nursery. 
Deborah put her hand to her mouth in shock. He was right, but now the bear had turned 180 degrees and was facing the wall. I swear we didn't touch it, said Tony. Larry's smile dropped as he could see the seriousness in their faces. Okay, listen, began Larry. My boss's sister, well, she's a bit of a psychic apparently. I'll speak to him in the morning and see if he'll speak to her. Deborah and Tony agree and say their goodbyes to Larry. Just then, the phone rings. It's Tony's mother. She's heard about the strange goings-on and wanted the full story. After Tony filled her in, the line goes quiet. And eventually his mother says, Well, I didn't bring it up before as I didn't think it was relevant, but... I happen to know someone whose daughter lived in that house. If you want, I could ask if she ever had anything weird happen. Tony thought this would be a great idea, hoping beyond hope the previous tenant would say nothing happened at all, and maybe this was all just blown out of proportion. The next day, however, Tony's hopes are dashed in one phone call. So, begins his mother, Turns out that girl had issues with her kids' toys being moved around the place too. Tony swallowed hard. She had a little girl who said she had an invisible friend who liked to play with the toys. She said her name was Sally. Tony looked around the empty living room cautiously as he held the receiver. Okay, thanks mum, he said, ending the call. Tony tried to shake things from his mind for the rest of the day. He worked mainly outside in the garden. The house was starting to feel ominous to him. He found himself not wanting to look up at the bedroom windows in case he saw. Well, he didn't know what. Deborah came out with a hot drink for him. Here, she said, passing him the mug. So, Larry just called. That psychic woman is going to call tonight for a chat. Deborah seemed excited by the whole thing, a sentiment Tony just didn't share. Right, he mumbled. Are you okay if I just talk to her? asked Deborah. Knock yourself out, said Tony, placing his mug down and turning back to the digging. That night, Deborah waited anxiously by the phone. Hello? The voice on the other end introduced themselves as Barbara, and over the course of the next 30 minutes, she listened, meditated, and quite matter-of-factly informed Deborah that their house was indeed haunted by the ghost of a little girl. And this girl likes Deborah, and she likes the baby Taylor. And should Deborah find items strewn about, she should address and accost the little girl as she would any child that was acting up. Oh, and the little girl was named Sally. Deborah was elated that the name matched the one Tony had been told by his mother, and she couldn't wait to tell him. However, Tony's stomach fell as Deborah excitedly regaled the conversation she had with the psychic. Tony was a Roman Catholic, and to him, there was no such thing as a good ghost. Despite his nagging feeling something paranormal was taking place, for his own sanity, he had to remain sceptical, and he tried his best to keep Deborah grounded. 
The following day, Tony's brother George pops around to see the new house. And, eager for some rational advice, Tony tells George all about the happenings in the house. George, much to Tony's relief, laughs it all off and pulls out a camera from his bag. Hey Sally, if you're here, say cheese, he joked. However, as he looks through the viewfinder, he notices the bear on the hearth slowly turn to face him. Holy shit, he shouts, pointing at the bear. That just moved? This is the final straw for Tony, who races upstairs to grab the baby and Deborah and leave the house. George tries to follow him upstairs, however, an icy, cold force blocks his path. Each step feeling like he's walking through treacle, sapping the energy right out of him. The baby packed away safely in his carrier, George, Deborah and Tony finally make it to the front door. Yet as Tony crosses the threshold, he screams out in pain. Something with what feels like hideous long claws has just clawed at his back. And sure enough, as he lifts his shirt, there are three fresh and deep wounds. Blood pooling to the surface of each small tear that makes up each of the long scratches. Deborah is conflicted. She loves the house. Plus, she's personally never felt any threat or harm aimed towards her or the baby. In addition, Barbara, the psychic, specifically told her over the phone that Sally was a good spirit. So, for clarity, Deborah once more speaks to Barbara and tells her about the most recent happenings. Barbara can tell the family is in distress and decides to come in person to investigate further. Once more, after spending a good few hours going through the property, meditating on the spirit within the house, Barbara informs Deborah, just as before, that the spirit of Sally is nothing more than a little girl. A little girl who just wants to feel part of a family. I've said it before, but I mean it, says Barbara. If she does something you don't like, you let her know. Tell her off as you would a real living child. Again, at this news, Deborah can't help but feel excited. Excited at the prospect of dealing with a real and benevolent supernatural entity. Tony, on the other hand, can't help but feel this is all getting dangerously out of hand. And it would appear with good reason. As when she goes to leave, Barbara takes Deborah to one side and whispers, One thing I would say that I didn't realise before. Sally doesn't like men, so, um, maybe keep that in mind. Worryingly for Tony, however, this piece of vital information went in one ear and out the other as Deborah was too excited at what she's seen as her new, adopted, ghost daughter. Deborah found a new piece in the house. She would sit on the bed and talk out loud to the spirit of Sally. She would say goodnight to her of an evening and good morning to her when she woke up each day. She would tell Sally off should toys be thrown around or lights would flicker on and off. On the flip side, 
she would praise her if there were a few days of uninterrupted peace. So much so that one day, much to Tony's concern, Deborah came home with a gift-wrapped box. What's that? asked an inquisitive Tony. Acting sheepish, Deborah quietly said, oh, It's a present for Sally, seeing as she's been so good, you know, lately. You must be joking, said Tony, the frustration clearly coming through in his voice. Deborah shooed him off and took the wrapped box upstairs. Sally, darling, I got you a little surprise for being so good lately, said Deborah, placing the box on the nursery floor. I'll leave this here for you to open, she said, smiling, backing out of the room and closing the door behind her. As she turned around, she bumped into a non-too-impressed Tony. This is going too far, Deb, he whispered, subconsciously hoping whatever was in the house wouldn't hear him. Just leave me alone. We need to make her feel at home. She was here well before us, Deborah said defensively. From inside the room, it sounded like the present was being moved around. Slowly opening the door, Deborah could see the box remained unopened, but it had moved a few feet across the floor. Walking in, she smiled and clapped with delight as there, laid out fresh in the baby's crib, was the toy doll she'd bought for Sally. Somehow, the spirit had managed to transport the doll out of the still-closed and wrapped box. "'What a clever girl you are!' Deborah professed to the empty room. Tony just stood in the doorway, frowning. As you may well be able to note, Sally's presence was very much causing a polar opinion within the household. And what was a joyous time for Deborah was turning into a living nightmare for Tony. Whenever he was alone in the house, he would feel intimidated, frightened even. He would hear scratches coming from the walls, distant garbled voices most definitely talking to him, but too indistinct to be understood. At night, whilst laying in bed, he would feel small, sharp teeth nipping at his toes, as if rats were coming from under the bed. But when he would check, nothing would be there. Each time he tried to confront Deborah with his experiences, she would smile them off and remind him that the psychic said they had nothing to worry about. Which, you'll remember, wasn't exactly true for Tony. One day, fittingly Halloween of that year, Tony was in the kitchen getting a glass of water thinking just what would be next in this bizarre series of events. Something was standing in the corner of his vision. He looked up and locked eyes with the saddest-looking girl he'd ever seen. The glass dropped from his hand. He looked down and looked back up, but the young girl had disappeared. As word spread about the haunting a TV company became interested in doing some filming in the house. Ever keen for something new and interesting, Deborah was delighted by the idea. Tony, however, was a touch more reticent, only agreeing after it was made very clear that they would bring a medium along who could cleanse the house and finally rid the home of the spirit within. For Tony, though, 
This would signal the start of something arguably beyond the capabilities of the spirit of a young girl. Tony was attacked live on camera throughout the evening. Welts and scratches forming over his back in areas he simply couldn't reach. Although the programme made for good TV and the medium who cleansed the house was well-intended, when they packed up and left, Tony felt like all that was done was whatever was in the house had been poked, angered and trebled in size. And now they were back to just him, Deborah and their baby. Tony's anxiety level rose with each passing day. Sleep became nigh on impossible, with lights being played with, his toes being bitten, his back being tore at. And all the while, Deborah smiled and acted like the thing in the house with them was an innocent little girl. They were literally living in two separate realities. The scratching in the walls would grow louder to Tony. And more worrying than all of this, the voices grew louder and clearer, and the message was now understandable. Kill your wife. One afternoon, whilst trying to drown out these voices, a stray cat managed to climb in through a kitchen window and began licking at a bowl of cereal on the table left over from breakfast. Tony glared at the cat and the voices began to instruct him. Tony came out of his daze and looked around. Blood covered the kitchen, the walls, the surfaces. On the table was the mutilated body of the stray cat. Looking down, he noticed in his right hand was a large bread knife from the knife block. Bewildered, he dropped the knife to the floor. What had he done? The only memory he had were vague flashbacks of the act, and with each flashback, the recollection of the voices telling him Deborah should be next. This horrific and diabolical act only came to light well after the story broke and the family had moved out. Because at the time, Tony realised he couldn't let Deborah find the cat or the kitchen in such a state, so he tied it and cleaned as best he could and didn't tell Deborah a thing. He only had one goal, to get Deborah and his baby out of the house before he succumbed once more to whatever had taken control of him on that day. Tony pleaded with Deborah to understand that whatever was in the house wanted to hurt them, and Sally wasn't this kind, harmless entity. The veracity of Tony's pleading actually began to hit home to Deborah, and she, for the first time since it began, started to see that none of this was normal, almost like the fog began to lift from her vision. Two days later, Tony was walking across the landing when something charged at him out of one of the bedrooms, knocking him into the banister and breaking a number of the wooden rails. It was literally by the grace of God that Tony didn't get pushed through the hoarding and fall to his death. This was an attempt to kill. Even for Deborah now, this was the final straw, and the family left the house quickly afterwards. 
Apparently, tenants for the house were rotated in quick succession as each new arrival lasted barely a month before moving on. The house's reputation, however, led to it becoming a star in its own right. And now the house sits empty, only acting as a tourist attraction for willing thrill-seekers. So just what was Sally? Was she genuinely the spirit of a poor little girl? Or something much, much darker? Well, Deborah and Tony are still married and still very much alive. And now with the advantage of both distance and hindsight, both are convinced that Sally was just the form taken by a demon. Deborah now feels guilt for how she was so blind to Tony's ongoing suffering and believes her blindness is another piece of evidence towards the demonic. Well, at least Deborah and Tony are both free of whatever is in the house. Or are they? You see, there's a theory that when you interact with a demon, it leaves a mark on you, and it claims part of you for itself. A few years ago in their new home on the other side of Atchison, Deborah woke in the early hours and reached over to Tony. However, his side of the bed was empty. It turns out Tony had actually sleptwalked in the deep snow several miles across town and was found kneeling with a smile on his face in the garden of the Sally House. Well, guys, I've sincerely enjoyed Season 4. I love bringing these famous hauntings to you in the style of the dark paranormal. And hopefully, even if you're well aware of them, you still get something new out of how they're presented. Don't forget, when we return in two weeks' time, we'll be back with your listener stories. So, as I said earlier, if you're sitting on a story, or should I say a true paranormal experience, then please send it in to the dark paranormal at hotmail.com. And if two weeks is too long to wait for your next dark paranormal fix, you can go over to our Patreon and get those weekly Patreon only episodes. That's patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Well, guys, that about wraps up season four. So until season five debuts, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always leave your disbelief at the door. I'm Kevin Eustace, and once again, thank you for choosing to spend your time with me in the dark paranormal. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. 
Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.